1: Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you.
0: Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi.
1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I want you to picture a, a large man, a burly, burly man with his hair blowing in the breeze. Ooh. And he, he has a lady on his arm and she's wearing petticoats. Would that Would that lady be me? Am it, I in the, it, no? It sure could be. Okay. It could be. Cool. Yes. It is you wearing petticoats and you are on the cover of a romance novel. Oh my. And your romance novel happens to have sold billions of copies. Actually, romance novels in general. In general. Not oh. just, not, <laughs> not just, just my, not just the Kristen Conger edition. My best selling, uh, podcast romance <laughs> novel. <laughs> right. Exactly. Something like that. Um, Yes, today we are talking about romance novels and why they are so popular. They still get a pretty bad rap, Mm -hmm. I think, in general, but um, enough people are buying them. Yeah, here's the thing.
1: Uh, High-minded literary folk out there, don't laugh too much at the romance genre, because it is huge, and it is far outpacing all of the books that that you might be buying. For instance... The Romance Writers of America, uh, reports that in 2010, romance novels sold 1.358 billion in sales.
0: Right. That is crazy. And that's down just a little from 2005 when sales hit the 1.4 billion mark and down just slightly from 2009's figure of 1.36 billion. And actually, good news for the romance novels. Sales are projected to jump to 1.368 billion this year. And if you're if you're thinking billion schmillion. What that doesn't that's not much of anything. Yes, it is. It it actually is, because the closest category in the running is uh religion and inspirational uh books. And those just brought in seven hundred and fifty nine million last year. Not even touching, not even touching romance novels. So what we're getting at here is that romance fiction
1: is The best-selling fiction genre in the publishing industry, and the top imprints are Mira, Grand Central Publishing, HQN, which I think used to be known as Harlequin, Jove, Berkeley, and even within this genre, because it is so large, there are sub genres such as history, suspense, fantasy, mm-hmm. sci-fi, um, Christmas romance novels, yeah, especially popular to keep you warm on those cold winter nights. Yeah. I suppose, uh, paranormal romance fiction, all
0: sorts. Yeah, actually. And the number of U.S. romance readers has increased 18% since 1998. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if this is dying off anytime soon. I mean, a lot of people are picking these up and a lot of people are picking them up in the mass market paperback form. Um, Although eBooks are starting to kind of siphon off some of those sales, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's mostly the, the romance reader out there. It's mostly a woman, picking up a mass market paperback. Right.
1: Nine out of 10 romance novel buyers are women. And the question that we pose in the podcast title today is why are romance novels so popular? And the fact that they do appeal to women so much really explains those huge numbers. Because as we've said before in the podcast, women make up a majority of book buyers. And you can even see this among ebook readers, um, with the Kindle, for instance, if you look at the bestseller list on um, the Amazon Kindle, a lot of them again are romance novels.
0: Right. I know. Yeah. It just it just appeals to to a lot of women, and not all women. I know. I know. Don't be sensitive. I know a lot of people aren't running out there buying romance novels, but uh, a good thing to think of also if you're, if you're getting touchy, like, well, I don't read that stuff, mm-hmm. um, is that not all romance novels are like the, the, the Fabio painting on the cover where he's, you know, holding Kristen in her petticoats. Um, you can also think of, uh, romance novels as Jane Austen. Yeah. Yeah. Like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. So that there's was, there's more highbrow.
1: That's right because if you go to goodreads.com which is um a great site for books and reading if you've never been to it before, they have a list of their all-time favorite romance novels and Jane Austen is at the top followed by mm-hmm. Stephanie Myers and the Twilight series. But let's get into romance novels because I think one of the reasons why they get a bad rap aside from perhaps the cheesecake artwork on the covers um is that a lot of people accuse him of having very formulaic plots with very rigid
0: gender roles um what what else Yeah well they've I think I don't know I know that I have this image in my head of romance novels as the big burly man comes to save the day mm-hmm. you know the the woman is having a tough time doing whatever I was actually talking about this topic with my roommate last night and she <laughs> said that her grandmother had a bunch of romance novels uh-huh. and had written little like two three word reviews in the cover uh-huh and she, the one that she wrote the best was i think called i don't want to get this wrong I think it's called the Australians uh-huh. and this hoity toity uh city girl moves to the to the outback to uh-huh. be a teacher and she goes down under. she has to uh she has to get help from some rugged outback cowboy type uh-huh. and of course they uh, uh, initially butt heads right and then come you know he thinks of her as a silly foolish woman right and she thinks of him as as brutish <laughs> as muscly uh and eventually they, you know, clearly fall in love, which is what happens. I just I just spoiled every romance novel for you. I'm sorry. It's it is kind of true. Um but
1: that doesn't necessarily mean that we should discredit the appeal of romance novels. Um for instance, on the NPR blog, Monkey See, Linda Holmes writes that she gets the whole romance novel thing. She says that women are basically pressured to be You know, thin, beautiful, successful, independent wives, mothers, basically to have it all Mm -hmm. (laughs) and be universally desired and satisfied. Um, so these are nice escape routes and fantasies away from all of the pressures of the day to day, perhaps into the arms of a, of a rugged Australian
0: Man, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, it can be comforting to fantasize about a man who can take care of everything. I mean, we've all seen that Obama meme online, the I got this. <laughs> and that's sort of the overarching um, uh, kind of theme that they're portraying in these books. And, you know, tales of successful courtship and dating and love can can give us hope and make us optimistic and, you know, make us want to wait around for a real partner. Perhaps. I don't know. I could be reading too much into it. Um, but you know, it's possible. You might, you might realize I want a man like that who not necessarily rides a horse and ropes cattle, but who can get things done.
1: Yeah. But he could rope cattle if he needed to.
0: Exactly. How about that? Yeah. If you wanted it done, he would do, he would do it for you. <laughs> um,
1: but what kind of, I don't want to say values, but maybe what kind of themes are these romance novels peddling? Uh, well, Canadian researchers Anthony Cox and Marianne Fisher looked at 15,000, 15,000. That's a lot. That is a lot, of romance novels published between 1949 and 2009. And they looked for different hook words, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of these titles of romance novels are actually market-tested to appeal to very common fantasies that women might have.
0: Right, women. Themes. So they're not called Ham Sandwich and Naked Lady. Right <laughs> there. <laughs> Geared towards women, um, uh, and
1: they realized that a lot of common hook words include love. Not surprising there. Mm-hmm. Bride, baby, 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 marriage, wedding, groom, and honeymoon. Uh, and the kind of values that were repeated throughout a lot of these romance novels were commitment, love, and family. I'm assuming commitment, love, and family preceded by. The butting of heads and (laughs) the, you know, maybe... Saucy
0: conversation. Yes. Yes, sparks flying. Sexual tension building. Yes, exactly. I would never date that man. Oh, but I love you. Yeah, I'm sure conversations like that happen, um along with wind blowing through hair and whatnot.
1: And uh, this is my favorite finding from this research that was published in the Journal of Social Evolutionary and Cultural Psychology. Caroline, could you please share <laughs> with our listeners the top uh,
0: jobs held by men, leading men, I should say, in romance novels? Yes. Uh, gentlemen, listeners, take note. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the top jobs for heroes in these books are... Doctor, cowboy, boss, prince, rancher, knight, and surgeon. So I want to know the different. You're a doctor on a farm. You are. Yeah. So set. If you,
1: like you said, I mean, roping the cattle mm-hmm. that can maybe take you pretty far, especially if you can rope a cattle and do <laughs> bypass surgery. Right,
0: and and basically the thing that ties all this stuff together is that. You can think of all of these jobs as people who are assertive but caring. So mm-hmm. the doctor makes quick decisions, life or death decisions, saves people, but he's also caring. He takes care of people.
1: Right. Um, And I also thought this was an interesting finding from the study. Two words that were not commonly used mm-hmm. to describe heroes, handsome and athletic. Even mm. though a lot of romance novels will go into granular Detail to describe the timber of a man's voice and the look in his eyes and the <laughs> feeling of each fiber of hair on his body. Uh, typically, he's not just generally handsome and athletic. Right. It's more than that. He's a, he's a person. Whereas a lot of the female
0: protagonists in romance novels
1: are kind of shells that women can insert themselves into. Right.
0: Yeah, I've actually heard this argument about Twilight. Speaking of Twilight, Mm -hmm. I've heard people talk about how, and I haven't read the books, I haven't seen the movies, so look, don't hate me. Um... But I've heard it described that the heroine in Twilight is is described as just your average, an average looking girl. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of description there, whereas there is a ton of description about her love interest. And that's sort of what they're saying in psychology today when they pointed out that the same thing, Mm -hmm. that heroines are often these vague, shadowy figures so that you can imagine yourself being swept up. In Fabio's arms. Well, and also going
1: back to what um, Linda Holmes was saying over at NPR about all of the kind of pressures that are p- placed upon women and how romance novels serve as an escape from all of that. By not establishing this female protagonist who is gorgeous and perfect and can do absolutely everything, she might be kind of unremarkable. Uh, maybe it takes again, like it serves as a as a conduit to escape from that that pressure and just allow yourself to be loved and completely accepted for who you are by a rugged rancher
0: <laughs> right and um julia quinn uh that's the pin name for it, julie pottinger, um who's a romance novelist she a lot of her lead female characters she makes sure to point out that they are normal looking. Mm-hmm. They're rounder. They're not, you know, they're not like Kate Moss running around in the outback. <laughs> they're, they're, they're normal around. women that you can identify women that you can identify with. Um and
1: one of the questions that this brought up in my mind with the popularity of romance novels, obviously this is something that you read erotic stimulation via reading as compared to say watching pornography, which is a lot more popular among mm-hmm. males. This is, this is a statistical fact. Right. Um, And Ogi Ogas and Sai Gadam wrote this book recently called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, in which they analyze a billion <laughs> uh, web erotic searches to basically unravel what turns us on. And they talk about the appeal of romance novels specifically to women a lot in the book as compared to um the appeal of say web porn watching web porn for men and he points out uh, or i should say they point out that women first of all account for 1 out of 50 porn site subscribers so right there out of the gate we are not watching as much as men are but in 2008 74.8 million people read an English language romance novel close to the number of men who visited online pornography sites that mm-hmm. year. So the point that A Billion Wicked Thoughts is kind of making is that while there might be different mediums, uh, women are still seeking out erotic pleasure in the same de- yeah. to the same degree that men might be. We're
0: all looking for escapism and, and stimulation of some kind, but women are more likely to spend a couple of hours reading mm-hmm. about it, really internalizing it and thinking about it and having an emo kind of having an emotional epiphany right alongside the heroine of the story uh, about this big burly man, uh, whereas the guys are just getting instant gratification looking at videos right.
1: And uh, Ogas and Gadam attribute this to how the female cortex is constructed and um, point out that that women tend to enjoy, I don't know, the context that comes with kind of filling out um, a more complete fantasy rather than just seeing something on screen and having everything laid out for them. They like to have the, uh, you know, a little more information about who this love interest might be rather than what that love interest looks like naked.
0: <laughs> right. And that sort of ties into the Wall Street Journal article that we read talking about how basically these books are giving feminine intuition a workout. Um, we're sort of, we're reading the whole story and processing all these things about this character, the same way that we are processing thoughts and feelings about guys when we meet them. Although Caroline, I am hesitant to use that old feminine intuition. Feminine intuition. I know we've we, talked about we, it. Yeah, yeah. And
1: we debunked the whole notion well, I of did feminine put intuition. It, it's in, it, it is in quotes. It's in quotes in my notes. Here. We're, we're air quoting. Right now, because I think in a I mean, I think that this is when you have to separate, though, fantasy from reality in that I'm sure that men and women are both try to kind of suss out what another, you know, potential love interest they meet mm-hmm. might be like beyond their their face and their measurements. Um But in fantasy might be a little bit of a different yeah. situation. hmm but i think one thing we have to ask in the, this episode that has been asked many times about romance novels and their appeal to women in particular is are they that good for us should we be indulging in these in these fantasies about men coming to the rescue is that really good especially from a feminist perspective
0: Yeah, are they giving us false hopes? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't
1: we just be trudging through the doldrums of daily life? Or are they possibly even endorsing unhealthy sexual behavior? As Sarah Quilliam, who's an advice columnist in the UK, wrote in the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Care, Earlier this year, she says that a huge number of issues we see in our clinics and therapy rooms are influenced by romance
0: fiction. Dang. Oh, no. So, oh, this is where all the problems of society come from. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, yeah, she points out that some characters are forced to have sex and yet they think it's wonderful and women are portrayed as the weaker sex. She calls it demeaning that female characters are sexually unsatisfied until a man comes along and awakens her. Right. And she, um, she also, you know, is concerned
1: that there isn't, at least in the romance novel that she analyzes, I believe it was 78 randomly selected novels published between 1981 and 1996. Quilliam says, "Hey, you know what is also missing from a lot of these
0: sex scenes in romance novels? Hey, condoms. Right? Where are condoms? Exactly." And she also says that romance readers tend to respond negatively to contraception in one survey.
1: But, but uh, going back to that Monkey C blog over at NPR and Linda Holmes. She calls out Quilliam and this essay, which was reported on Wiley. I first read about this, uh, the Quilliam's essay in Time magazine. Um, and, but Holmes faults her for using the statistic that only 11.5% of romance novels mention condom use because only 78 books are mentioned. in, what was the, the time period? 1981 to 1986 which is such a tiny, tiny sliver, first of all, of the entire romance library. Right. And also, Holmes says, if you look at contemporary romance novels that were published even in the last like 10 years, yeah. there is a lot of condom use and there. You know, it isn't just about um, sexual violence and, and rape and demonizing an entire genre that is so large and so mm-hmm. broad like romance novels isn't necessarily good math.
0: Right, and I, I don't think, and I we read a couple of things uh, debating whether feminism and romance novels are mutually excu- exclusive, and I don't think they have to be. Right, I don't think that just because you read a romance novel where two people fall in love, I don't think it it, it necessarily has to be. Hokey, and it doesn't have to be demeaning to women mm-hmm. it just depends on what book you read i mean if, okay when i was growing up my mother had a ton of i don't know why a ton of romance novels lying around oh I, yeah I, I read a ton of romance novels Great. when i was like a preteen uh-huh. i don't know if this made me the person i am today <laughs> <laughs> i'm hoping i had some other significant factors you do wear a lot of
1: petticoats
0: <laughs> i know i'm always looking for burly men to hang off of um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yes, and a lot of those were junk, absolute junk, but the, a lot of those also were from the late 80s, early 90s, which is the same period that Quilliam's talking about, mm-hmm. 1981 to 96. Um, you know, it's a, it's a small chunk of time and maybe, books written in the late 70s early 80s weren't as focused on contraception and safe sex because they weren't dealing they weren't kind of handling the AIDS epidemic they weren't you know they weren't having their characters deal with unwanted pregnancies and stuff like that so well and and Kay Mussel at American University who has studied romance novel
1: and and the tropes in them came to the conclusion that, that, no, feminism and romance novels are not mutually exclusive, especially when you look at more contemporary titles. Um, she wrote that heroes and heroines meet each other at much more equal playing fields these days. Heroes don't always dominate the heroines. Um, and a lot of times the heroines are frequently right and they have certain expertise and aren't afraid to show it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the sexual content of romance novels, I'm talking romance novels with a capital R's and the entire genre. um, According to a study published in September 2011 in a journal, Sexuality and Culture, there really isn't all that much hanky-panky yeah. happening in romance novels. And this is, I mean, I think we should also... Ah, uh, clarify. We're talking about romance novels as compared to stuff like just specific erotic fiction mm-hmm. and fan fiction, and fan stuff like fiction that. slash fiction that is a little more X-rated. But in this sample, they sampled books that had won the Romance Writers of America Award for Best Contemporary Single Title Romance. Whew, that's a long, that's a long <laughs> title from 1989 to 2009, and they found um not. Yeah, not, not all that much sex actually happening in the books. A lot of staring into each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, and they were also looking at the the sexual scripts within, those, um, within the plots, and they said that their sample was 100% heterosexual, mm-hmm. which is something that listeners might have noticed. We keep using he and she right. in all of our examples. Uh, 95%. Uh, non-discrepant, i.e. Um, no interracial couples, and no deviant sexual behaviors as
0: well. Right. I feel like some of the, uh, the interracial couples often fall in those westerns mm-hmm. where the prairie heroine falls in love with a Native American, mm-hmm. and then just the horrible stereotypes pour forth. In the book, I
1: I love that you have this. <laughs> this I did not know about your uh, well, your now romance you do, novel and so insight. do. a lot of
0: other people. Know <laughs> I know, I do. I uh...
1: I want to know more, uh, but at the same time, uh, one of the blogs that reported on that September 2011 study suggested that perhaps they should, you know, open up if we're going to analyze romance novels because there are you know, lesbian themes, there are male on male romance novels, there are interracial novels, and Um, romance novels that explore a broader array of sexual fetishes Mm -hmm. and behaviors that maybe even, even this study isn't, um, you you can't summarize the entire genre just by looking at a small subset.
0: Right. But I don't think there have actually been a ton of romance novel studies. I mean, as popular as these things are, there's not like a huge amount of research out there for as many women who purchase these books Mm -hmm. and as many bad assumptions as there are about the whole genre. You would think that that more research would be done. So maybe people actually, hey, people who have a lot of time on your hands, maybe you could look (laughs) into other types of romance novels, other topics. Yeah,
1: and I I should point out, um, as additional resources, if you are interested in learning more about the romance novel genre, I do recommend checking out uh, Beyond Heaving Bosoms, which is by Sarah Wendell and Candy Tan who have a blog about romance novels from a more academic perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also the book Dangerous Men and Adventurous Women by Jane Ann Krentz that also kind of dissects what's going on.
0: Well, I, for one, now that I have shared with all of you that I have read a lot of romance novels. We still don't know
1: your favorite.
0: I don't, you know, it's, I mean, I don't think I've read one since. Last week. <laughs> yeah, about three hours ago. No, <laughs> since early high school, I think the last romance novel I read was in the Outlander series. That's which one is, of,
1: that's one of the favorites from Goodreads. Yeah,
0: well, she wrote Outlander, Diana Gabaldon. She wrote A- Outlander and it was so fantastic. I don't know if I would like it now. I mean, I have no idea, but I loved it. It's about this woman who goes back in time through some stone Ooh. in Scotland and is like hanging out the highlands and kilts are kilts involved, big giant ginger men. And uh, yeah, kilts are involved. And then in another book, she comes back again and brings back penicillin. You just can't do that. You can't mess with the space term continuum like it. But anyway, anyway, I'm getting carried away. Um, and I didn't, she, she wrote several books after I stopped reading. I think I read three. Um, I've gone on too long about this, but I would like to know our listeners. Favorite romance novel. Right, I have to admit I am not
1: I'm not all that personally familiar. I don't have the insight, personal <laughs> insight that you do Caroline into um, the romance novel genre, but reading about it for this episode, my interest is is very much piqued and I think that it is time for us to to ease off the the stigma against sure. romance novels because if anything, hey, 1.3 billion dollars in sales, at least it's keeping the publishing industry alive during these For difficult real? times. Jeez, I know. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, give some respect where respect is due. And
0: yes, please send us, uh, your favorite romance titles. Oh, and your favorite types of heroes. Are you a cowboy lady? Do you yes. prefer doctors and surgeons? What do you like? <laughs> what do
1: you like? Let us know. stuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address to send to.
0: Kristen, we have an email from Emily. This is harking back to our single podcast, mm-hmm. or our singledom, singleness podcast. She said that she thought it was good, but I felt like you really made being married sound bad. In my opinion, when you're married, the main focus of your life should be your family. You made that seem like a bad thing. Now, I'm not married, but from what I've what I've seen and been told, if your family is your priority, then your family is stronger down the road. Your best friend should be your spouse, in my opinion. I don't think that's weird. That does not mean you can't have friends or hobbies. You just have to decide for yourself what is top priority in your life. Thank you, Emily. Thank you,
1: Emily, for that perspective.
0: All right, well I have an email here from
1: Carlina and this is in response to our episode on nipples. Woohoo! She said, "I recently listened to your podcast about nipples and was reminded of my younger brother who has a mole on his chest near one of his nipples." We see how many times I can say nipples. Uh my other brother and I teased him growing up and called the mole his triple nipple. <laughs> After hearing your podcast, I realized there might have been more to the more truth to that joke than we thought. Although it isn't correctly lined up along his milk line. I do really enjoy your podcast in some way. Gender equality is a little behind in Korea, where she lives. And it's nice to be able to listen to more progressive attitudes. I'm going to email my brother about the (laughs) nipple podcast right now. Well, thank you for that triple nipple story, Carlina. And if you have stories to share with us, Other friends and listeners, please email us at momstuffathowstuffworks.com or share it on Facebook or hit us up on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And, of course, during the week, you can find us on the blog, Stuff Mom Never Told You, at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Forks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Works iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other through a new podcast from My Heart Radio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.